We're looking at the second part of a two-part sermon that was started two weeks ago when Travis was speaking on confession. And uh, it's interesting because, as he, as he mentioned a couple weeks ago, this kind of stemmed out of a conversation that he and I, Monique, had during our Sunday school um, a few weeks back. We were talking about confession and repentance, and it was interesting because, you know, Travis was talking about them like they're two of the same thing, kind of. You know, they're connected. And I remember specifically saying to him, in my personal walk with the Lord, I know that I've divorced these two. I've tried to make them separate things. So in my personal walk with the Lord, I know that there are times where I've been happy to confess something that I've done wrong, but repentance didn't necessarily come. In fact, if I'm to practice confession right now in front of all of you, and be brutally honest, I would say I confess sometimes to the Lord things that I've done, but with the understanding that I think I know fully well I'm going to do this again probably fairly soon. I think something happens when we divorce confession and repentance from each other. Something very important is missing. A couple weeks ago, we talked about um, confession in that in one part we looked at how confession is being able to look beyond ourselves and lay hold of the marvelous possibilities of grace. It is a gateway to grace, if you will. Confession, that is. Sin mires us in who we are, and confession and its partner, repentance, however, allow us to imagine the future again. I like the way that sounds. We get to imagine the future again, and what we could look like, fully right, fully free, full of the power and love and forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. And so repentance, I believe, is the natural outpouring that comes from confession. And I want to begin with this passage that we just heard in Hosea, that Ava just read for us. But I want to begin at the very ending, because I think that the ending sounds a bit like a contradiction. And so if you want to, feel free to follow along. We're speaking out of Hosea chapter 14, and I am using the uh, New Living Translation, so it will sound a touch different than what you have in your, in your seats there. But the second part of the last verse of Hosea says, The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. And I thought that was interesting, because it sounds like a contradiction. If someone's walking in the paths of righteousness, how can they possibly stumble and fall? But what's interesting is that last line there doesn't say that those who've sinned stumble and fall, but rather sinners stumble and fall. And you get the sense that there's someone who's decided to live a certain way, to live in a way that perhaps willingly they know is sinful, and yet continuing to try and walk down a righteous path. And that doesn't work. If you imagine one path of righteousness going this way and another path of of sin that's going that way, and you're trying to walk down both, you're going to start doing this. And eventually, stumble and fall, right? I wonder if that's what we're looking at here. There's a great example of this in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to turn there quickly. Matthew chapter 21. You remember a couple weeks ago when Travis was sharing about um, the prophet Nathan and how he approached David and, and told him a story that really was telling about David's guilt But he did it in such a way that David didn't know. And so by the time he's done the story, David's like, a person like that ought to be killed. And Nathan says, guess what? You're that guy. 
And David's like, <laughs> Jesus does the same thing here with the Pharisees. He begins telling a story that they jump into, not realizing quite that he's talking about them. In Matthew 21, verses 28, Jesus says, speaking to the Pharisees, what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and he went anyway. Then the father told the other son, now you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? And the Pharisees didn't need to take long to figure this out. They say, they replied the first. And then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of God before you do. And you remember the Pharisees. These guys are like righteous of the righteous. If these guys can't get it right, who can, right? Tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him, while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you remember what John the Baptist preached? What did he say? What did he come calling out? Repent. Repent. And even when you saw this happening, Jesus says, you refuse to believe him and repent of your sins. I wonder, it seems as though the Pharisees, now they must have had some idea of what confession is. They knew the law. They knew what this was all about. But it looks as though even though they may have had a grip on confession, maybe even able to loathe the sin within themselves, they did not grasp repentance as this natural outpouring of confession. Or more pointedly, that repentance, as Jesus shows it here, is when the loathe of sin is combined with the gratitude, the thankfulness that comes of knowing grace, made manifest in Jesus and actualized in a change of attitude and action. Now, anytime you read a passage where Jesus sets the Pharisees straight, if you're like me, you're like, oh, awesome, go get them, Lord, go get them. But I think often we forget that when we read a passage like that, what it's doing is holding up a mirror to us, right? Often we're the ones that need this correction. We forget that repentance is tied first and foremost to the person of Jesus. That's what the Pharisees missed. And that's what we often forget or ignore. Repentance is first and foremost tied to the person of Jesus, how we acknowledge and obey him and the transformation of our actions and attitudes that come from doing so. Oswald Chambers writes, Repentance always brings a person to the point of saying, I have sinned. The surest sign that God is at work in his life is when he says that, and means it. Anything less is simply sorrow for having made foolish mistakes, a reflex action caused by self-disgust. That's from his book, My Utmost for His Highest. Anything less than meaningful repentance is simply self-disgust for our sin, and that alone will not bring about change. Repentance is born out of gratitude, not guilt. Therefore, if, as we said, confession is like this gateway 
to grace if confession is that first release or that first relief of the burden of sin, then repentance is to move in both action and attitude and the freedom of that relief afforded by the grace of Jesus Christ. There's there's an Old Testament and New Testament understanding to repentance that bears looking at. In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament repentance, in, in the Hebrew, it was understood as this physical turning away, literally turning away from your idols and coming back to the Lord. In the New Testament, it's more of a, it involves that turning away, but it's also more of a change of heart, of mind, of attitude. So you get the the Old Testament kind of action. We're going to turn away. We're going to literally put our idols down. We're going to turn around and we're going to come back to the Lord. Or better yet, we're going to make a little fire. We're going to throw our idols in there. And then we're going to turn around and we're going to come back to the Lord. And when Jesus comes and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's speaking of this, this word that means to, to imagine something greater. A change of heart, a change of mind, a change of attitude. To imagine what life in the kingdom could really look like. It's a change of action and attitude. And so with all that in mind, I want to go back to our passage in Hosea. And I want to begin at the top this time. Chapter 14, verse 1. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to the idols that we have made, you are our gods. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. What I love about this, this very first line here, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Is that God hasn't forsaken the sinners. He's still their God. They're still his people. But he doesn't mince words. Your sins have brought you down. Your sins are your downfall. It's serious. But we see also this, this tie of these two things, confession and repentance. Bring your confessions and return. Repent. Return to the Lord. And say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Israel knew that nothing else was going to save them. It doesn't matter if there's any higher political power that they could align themselves with. It doesn't matter if they have all the war horses in the world. They know in the end nothing's truly going to save them except the power of God and to return to him. And likewise for us. It doesn't matter what we do with our sin. We, we can try all sorts of things ourselves to mask it, to hide it, to ignore it. But in the end, only returning to the Lord is going to bring us back to that place of forgiveness. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. What a wonderful picture of our God. A father to the fatherless. A space for everyone to come. Do you see your God like that this morning, church? Do you picture him as that? A father to the fatherless? I think that's very much who he is. The problem, however, is that often we struggle to see him this way. We tend to hear Jesus' words without believing them 
We're following them. Patti Smith was a singer, well, she still is a singer, songwriter, and poet, visual artist. And she became very prominent in New York's punk scene back in the 1970s. And she garnered a little controversy over a lyric, the very first line in her song, Gloria. And the line goes like this. Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. What do you think of when you hear that? Sorry? Rebelling? Yeah. Is that a line you could agree with? Jesus died for somebody's sins, but but not mine. I'd argue that more of us can relate to that lyric than we might tend to care to admit. I know in the past I've certainly felt like that. But walking in faith means to walk in the belief that what Jesus says is true and to follow it. That might sound silly this morning to us, but I think that it's one of our greatest failings. We often don't fully believe in what Jesus says concerning forgiveness because we don't believe that that phrase could actually apply to us. Not our sins, not the things that we've been dealing with. I won't tell you the things that I've been dealing with. Don't tell me the things you've been dealing with. (laughs) Surely, could God forgive that? I don't know. And as a result, we find ourselves with two problems that are really two sides of the same coin. We can't believe or accept that Jesus could forgive us, so we never really find ourselves in a place of true repentance. And our repentance is meaningless if we can't believe in the forgiveness of Christ. But take heart, we're in good company. Israel couldn't either. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15 God says to the whole nation of Israel, this is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. They also had a problem with that. But what does our passage in Hosea say? The next verse, verse 4 says, the Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds. For my anger will be gone forever. This is what he says to the ones who repent. We forget that our sins are no comparison to God's grace. There's a woman in Cory Ten Boom. Anybody heard of her before? Yeah. In uh, during the Second World War, her and her family hid Jews in their homes. In their home, sorry. She documented this in a book called The Hiding Place. Some of you may have read it. Some of you may have seen a movie on it. Afterwards, uh, she, was, she was eventually caught. Her family was caught. Her and her sister were placed in a concentration camp. Her sister did not make it out. But Corrie Ten Boom did, only due to a clerical error. She wasn't supposed to, to get out. In her book, Tramp for the Lord, she had these words to say regarding forgiveness. It was 1947. I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins are thrown. When we confess our sins, I said... God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever, 
Then God places a sign out there that says, no fishing allowed. They are forgotten. Don't go looking for them. God's not going to go looking for them. Leave them where they are. Let them sink. How often has God forgotten our sins and yet we remain in bondage because we cannot forgive ourselves? That we would repent instead and turn back to Christ. Let's read verses 5 through 8. What does it look like when we turn back to the Lord? God says, I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. Oh, Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. I am like a tree that is always green. All your fruit comes from me. Did you catch those outcomes? That's described here. It describes refreshment, provision, abundant provision, rest, and not simply living but flourishing. All that we accomplish comes from this rooting that takes place in the Lord. Did you know that both the enemy and the Lord wants to bring you to your knees? I picture the enemy wants to bring us to our knees And then he wants to take our head and just kind of grind it in the dirt and say, look what you did. And he's not going to let go. That's where he prefers we stay. That's called condemnation. I believe the Lord wants to bring us to our knees out of conviction, out of humble repentance, to confess and repent of what we've done. But the Bible says that as as we kneel there, he is the lifter of our heads. Father to the fatherless, brings us in, embraces us. Is that the God you need this morning, church? It's the God I need this morning. When one comes before God in repentance and experiences the power of his forgiveness, gratitude is the first thing that will come. How can it not be? How can not this thanksgiving be the first thing that comes? And it will begin to change us. We talk about the change of actions and attitudes. It will begin to transform us. It will change the way we see people. It will change the way we see ourselves. It will change the way that we, we see the world and how we give praise to God and how we, how we give in general. It affects every part of us. When we trust in Christ and turn in repentance from our sin, we have faith that he has worked within us patiently, actively, and faithfully. God is patient with us. And so we should be in no rush either except to simply come to him as soon as we stumble and fall and to confess and to repent. But he is patiently working within us. He is actively working within us. He has begun something good. He will see it through 
to the end. And he is faithful. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if the problem is that sometimes we have trouble believing Jesus and following his word, the solution is to give it a try. How's that for theological deepness for you this morning? This isn't hard stuff. What tangible things can we do this morning, even today, to practice this? I used to give you homework. Remember that? How'd you like some homework this week? Some practical training, right? Well, here we go. What if every day this week, perhaps in the morning, perhaps in the evening, as we come before the Lord, we ask him to show us where in our lives we need to confess and repent of our sin. What if every day this week we did that? What would he begin to show us? This is one of those be careful what you wish for prayers. (laughs) But it's an important one. What will he begin to show us? What if this week we involved a friend in this with us? Someone that we trust Someone that we know that we can come to and say, I'm having this problem. I'm asking for your help. I need some accountability. Accountability is a bit of a buzzword that's kind of diluting it a little bit, but it's important. There's something powerful when we confess to one another and when we share with one another and we pray with one another to help one another confess and repent of our sins. What if this week we did that? What if every day we checked in with someone each day of the week? How's it going? What's the Lord been showing you this week? What's he been doing? What could God do with that, I wonder? What do you think? You up for that? Does that sound like a good idea? A bad idea? A hard idea? I'm willing. Who's with me? (laughs) Finally, what if you had a little bit of grace for yourself? I really believe oftentimes one of the greatest stumbling blocks we have to accepting Christ's forgiveness is because we can't forgive ourselves. But if the Lord of all creation, of heaven and earth, of all things, can find it in himself to forgive you for your sin, indeed, die upon a cross for you, do you think maybe we could have a little bit of grace for ourselves too? I think that's important. Ask the Lord to help you in that. He will be faithful to do so. Let those who are wise understand these things. Let those with discernment listen carefully. The paths of the Lord are true and right, and righteous people live by walking in them. But in those paths, sinners stumble and fall. Remember, church, that confession and repentance allow us to imagine the future again. They allow us to see what life could be like, truly, living with Jesus Christ, full of his power, full of his forgiveness, his grace. It strengthens us. It allows us to live fruitfully. This is what Jesus is all about, not simply restoration, but transformation of our actions and our attitudes. He is making us holy, righteous people that will walk down this righteous path. We will help those beside us as we go. And we will invite others to walk with us as well. 
How's that sound? Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, as always, I pray that my words, Lord, that are of my own human wisdom, would fall to the floor and be forgotten. And what is of you, what is right and true, what is filled with your spirit of truth, Lord God, would be remembered in our hearts and minds. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to practice this confession and repentance, Lord, to come before you, to be able to share the the sins in our lives, Lord, and to be able to turn away from them and to turn back to you, imagining what you can do in our lives, Lord, what you are doing in our lives even today, even this very moment. Lord, your word says that you will free us of guilt, Lord, that your conviction is good and that you will lift our heads, Lord God, to see you, our glorious Father, a brother, everything we could ever want or need, Lord, and that you receive us with open arms. Thank you, Lord. May the one who needs to hear this this morning hear it, Lord, deep in their heart. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' most wonderful name, we pray. Amen. Amen.